you still have control of your own narrative. And I think seizing that and being like, you know what, I'm going to do the best I can under the circumstances. I think that's that's a great way to put it. You could still grow a sunflower in a one by one square foot of grass. Absolutely. And that doesn't mean that you can't, you know, slowly make your, you know, your area bigger or whatever, you know, yeah. but but just realizing that that your restraints don't have to restrain you. They can be what you work with. That's a that's a great answer. Uh, I'm a writer. <laughs> Welcome to the Good Life Central Oregon podcast where we pursue the good life by helping you pursue yours. The good life begins with a roof over your head, so please contact our sponsors for this podcast, Remax Revolution and Sisters. Remax is the number one real estate company in the world, and Remax Revolution offers new solutions for better results. Go to ilovecentraloregon.com to find out more. I'm sitting with a man who travels the world and tells stories and gets paid for it. Um, we're interviewing uh, Tim Neville. Of uh, He's a freelance writer. He also uh, has written for Time Magazine and uh, notably of uh, Outside Magazine, which is kind of a long story of how uh, I connected with him. But uh, uh, he is a polyglot. He's a uh, polymath, and he's a polypassionate person. I was trying to trying to find some consonants with the P's there you know, and try and test the pop filters on these, right? Um, uh, anyway, he's a freelance writer, uh, and, uh, he travels all over the world. And one of the reasons, or one of the questions I want to get to the bottom of today is why you live in central Oregon. We will get to that. Um, he has a very unique perspective on travel, on risk, uh, and, and probably to some extent of, uh, the reward of, of those. Um, and, and I'll bet you know how to tell a good story. Well, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna find out. Here's the test. Um, and uh, but uh, first of all, uh, let's. One of the stories that I've read, I found on your LinkedIn page. I thought was very well written. Go figure. Um, but it was a fun story about how uh, you found adventure through a broken heart and a moldy tent. <laughs> uh, that is true. Yes. Uh, can you give us the synopsis of that story? Because it, because those people who want to read the story, and I recommend it, it's very it's a very fun read. Uh, it was only like six pages long, I think, but you can find it on Tim Neville's LinkedIn page. But what, tell us the quick story. The well, well, first of all, Jeremy, thanks a lot for having me. It's not every day I get to sit around and talk about myself. So, well, I'm, I'm <laughs> glad I could offer that that opportunity. Exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, you know, that was a story that was kind of kicking around in my head for, for quite a long time. It was a, it kind of made me who I am, I guess. You know, everybody has, in some way, uh, I guess, a creation myth of sorts. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is my creation myth, although it's Very it's Joseph not, Campbellian. <laughs> yeah, but it's not a myth. It's, it, it actually happened. But, um, you know, 17, trying to figure life out, growing up on the eastern shore of Maryland, just no idea really who you are, but knowing that you're supposed to be somebody, that you're supposed to be figuring things out. And, um, you know, at that age, the only thing that really matters, I guess, are, uh, are girls. And so I, um, and how old are you again? Just 17, 17. 17, Yeah. yeah. I don't think there's anything, sports and girls maybe and food. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Other than that, we're good. 
And, um, you know, this, this lady, she was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. Of course. Just, of course. just stunning. And, uh, but she really is pretty. But um, anyway, and yeah, she broke my heart. She broke up with me on the first day of my senior year in high school, and it just sent me into a total tailspin. And the short version is that I ended up basically giving up on life. I was like, this, I just can't do this anymore. And the way I made my heartbreak manifest is that I moved out of my parents' house into a tent in the backyard. And it wasn't just any backyard. We had probably the woodsiest backyard in our subdivision. And so, you know, to me, it felt very wild. Um, you know, the sprinklers going off at 5 a.m. every morning, the raccoons getting into the garbage cans, mm-hmm. you know, this whole new world sort of opened up. But, um, you know, as I explained sort of in the essay, throughout my time out in this tent, um, you know, I didn't intend to actually stay out there. I just went out there one night. I couldn't sleep. I was like, and we had the tent still set up. It was old Coleman, you know, nothing fancy at all. And I thought, well, you know what? I can't sleep. I'm going to go out there on a school night, a Wednesday. So I went out there, kind of raining a little bit. And all of a sudden, like, I just thought, this is really kind of cool. It's I'm doing something different. It's a school night. I'm in a tent in my backyard. It's raining. Who does this? Yeah. And I ended up... sense of mojo, didn't you? Yeah, and I ended up sleeping really, really well. And so then I went out a second night and then a third night. And finally, my mother asked me one morning, she's like, well, how long do you plan to stay out there? And I just said, well, forever. And she kind of looked at me like I was serious. But but then that kind of got the ball rolling. Like, well, how long could I stay out here? Why... Why can't I stay out here that long? You know, winters in Maryland, at least on the eastern shore of Maryland, are very mild. And so, make a long story short, about this same time, some friends of ours in the neighborhood um, ended up their family ended up getting divorced, and the the two uh, old they were they they were our babysitters, so they were older than me at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, The two women in the house there, the the daughters, wanted to stay in town, and so they came by one day and. And my mom basically offered them my room. I was like, well, well he's not using it. He's out in, the, out in a tent in the backyard. Why don't you just take his room? And um, it was the best thing that happened because all of a sudden I had two older sisters and this sort of energy came into our house that just felt really, really cool. Everything just seemed different all of a sudden. So throughout the, th- throughout the essay, what happens is, um, you know, this, this tent becomes sort of not a symbol of angst and heartbreak, but more a symbol of, of um, adventure and finding yourself and having this pod of stability and control in a world that felt totally out of control. And so it took, took pain and, you know, misguided angst, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. being 17, of course, uh, you know, and turned it into something fun and adventurous and, and, you know, and, and so then spring comes along. I'm still out in the tent, and the tent by this point is just falling apart, and it's getting getting quite nasty. And and um, all of a sudden, I meet this this other girl, and you know, life sort of took off again. And yeah. but by that point, I was sort of already. I sort of made this this discovery that if my backyard could be this interesting, you know, like I remember getting up in the in the early morning with dawn and like going across to we live next to some fields next to some fields and going out to there and, you know, just watching dawn in winter. It's like, wow, dawn lasts a long time in winter, mm-hmm. which I thought was also kind of a, a neat metaphor for, you know, this period of my life. Like, you know, it felt like a very dark time. And now, of course, it seems completely silly. Um, but 
you know, that this light could slowly seep back into my life through, through sort of an awakening, a very real awakening. And then, but, you know, by that point, by the time I met this other lady, um, I already had another adventure lined up. I was going to be an exchange student to Switzerland. I was like, wow, my backyard can be this interesting. What's, what's it going to be like when I go to, like, Switzerland or New Mexico or Alaska or someplace where after the zipper comes up in the tent, like, the day's not over. It's, it's really just beginning. So are you a romantic by nature and not, not, in, the, not in the Cupid of Valentine's Day type of romantic? In the Lord Byron kind of way? Yeah, the Lord Byron type of romantic. Well, you know, I, I, I think so. I, I, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I definitely see a certain beauty and power in, in nature, you know, and sort of man's smallness among the, the greatness, you mm-hmm. know, and I think that's sort of what the romantics are getting at, you know, be it you know, the horror genre of romanticism or, or more the more romantic version of romanticism yeah. that we all know. But yeah. But there are those who would who would go out and stay in a tent in their backyard, in a woodsy backyard like yours, and and just come back the next morning and say a tent is a tent is a tent. But well, you but you found meaning, you found awakening, you found metaphors. Um it sounds like it sounds like there was a creative metaphorical giant within that woke up one day and decided to go travel the world and write about it. That is true. But that said, um, I didn't realize any of this until many, 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 many years later. Like when I was in the tent, I wasn't like, wow, this is a great metaphor for me. You know, yeah, sure. it, it, was, it was only later after I'd gained some perspective that, you know what? People break up. There are people, you know, have all sorts of bad things happen to yeah. them, you know, and it wasn't until I had, some context to really understand, you know, what all of this meant and to really kind of put it into its slot and be like, oh, this this was a pivot point in my life. To, to get to that point, I needed, you know, almost 15 years mm-hmm. or so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you went off to Switzerland as an exchange student. Uh, first of all, let me backtrack. How many nights did you stay in that tent? I stayed out in that tent uh, about six months. Six months. Yeah, I think it was from November till... Well, basically the tent started falling apart. And so I had to... I moved the tent. It basically just became so leaky and moldy. It was... I mean, it was a nasty tent. It was huge, though. I mean, it, you know, I can almost... I'm 6'7", and, and I mean, at that time I was maybe 6'5", you know? Yeah. And so I could I could stand up in it. And, uh, you know, it kind of became my own house. I started filling it with... And like I had a, like a little table, you know, I tried to run a light out with extension cord and dad's like, no, 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 you're going to get shocked. Yeah. You know, I, I had like an air mattress and it became like my own little, my own little house, I guess, you know, your, I started a little you know, young man's cave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I started to fill it with clutter, you know, already, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, but it started to, to fall apart and I tried to do all sorts of different things to save it and it just wasn't happening. So, and then, but I didn't want to come in. I, I, at this point I was like, wow, this is. I'm sleeping well. I really enjoy being out here. It's just like this sort of like independence within a, a very structured life still. You know, my mother could yell to me from the porch when it was dinner time. Mm-hmm. I could come in and watch The Wonder Years. I loved that show yeah. because it seemed to capture that sort of, you know. Well, anyway, so um, I basically ended up moving the, the tent onto our porch so I could still be outside, but... Um, but still have the safety of a roof because it was leak free. Yeah, so yeah. Leak, a leak free tent. Yeah, exactly. And then I eventually just kind of moved back inside. But I, but you know, I couldn't because my my room was still sort of rented out. You know, so I ended up just kind of sleeping on a on a 
on air matches in the living room or on the porch, you know, it kind of varied. But by then I was, uh, you know, I was, I was definitely back on my feet and feeling energized and, you know, ready to, uh, you know, suck the nectar from the world as Thoreau sort of says. Nice. Yeah. So from that tent to being an exchange student in Switzerland, how do you bridge the gap between then and now? How did you uh, begin this life of adventure and storytelling? Well, it definitely started there in the tent. There's no doubt about that. And then Switzerland, I think, solidified it. You know, said all of a sudden I went from a place that where I could kind of create my own adventure to a place where just, you know, waking up in the morning with a different family. I was living with a family, you know, and not knowing, you know, the word for chair or something. You know what I mean? I was in the, I was in the French-speaking part of Switzerland. Okay. Um, so... You know, and then and then working my way through that just gave me, I think, um, not only was it fun. I mean, I grew up in Flatland, Maryland, you know, and all of a sudden I'm on the edge of the Alps, like looking up these huge oh, yeah. mountains where I can like hop a train. We don't have trains in Maryland. I could walk down, hop a train and be in the Alps skiing and then come home, you know, and I was 18 at the time. I mean, just the just this whole other world opened up. And um, so I fell in love with the mountains there. I was like, these are real mountains. This is what this is about. I love this. You know, yeah, this is the stuff that dreams are made of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just, I mean, and it's Switzerland, which is just, you know, I mean, it's just a, a paradise here on earth. I mean, it's unbelievable. If you like mountains and ice and snow and beautiful valleys and flowers and people who yodel, I guess, you know. Yeah. And, and, I, yeah. And, and people who are nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and so, I mean, that, just living in that sort of daily challenge, I mean, that kind of became my tent. Um inspired a, a desire to kind of keep that going you know and at that time the the uh you know germany was reunifying the you know hungary and czechoslovakia all these places that seemed so removed and impossible to visit suddenly became possible you know i remember the exchange program i was on they were then offering exchange programs to hungary and i thought who goes to hungary you know and now hungary is kind of like i mean it's not a well-traveled place but it's certainly fairly well-traveled and so anyway, so yeah, yeah. That, that I mean that that and then just continue that on, and then then the writing stuff came in later. But yeah, but it started with all of that. And then, how did that writing stuff catch? And that's that's a major component to realizing, hey, you know, I've got this adventure spirit, I've got this uh, desire to travel. The uh, esoteric became accessible. It, it sounds like. Um, so, it, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you made a decision to keep that train. Rolling. Keep I, I did. Going. Yeah, I did for sure. So after uh, Switzerland, I went from Switzerland to South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina. And I mean, it's like going 200 miles an hour and then throwing on the brakes. I just couldn't handle it. It just everything was just so different. Just everything from the climate to the culture to the people, you know, everything. You know, I loved the school. I loved where I was at. met some great people, but it just didn't wasn't working. Mm-hmm. But I took a writing class. Um you know, English 101 with like a, you know, adjunct professor, you know. Yeah. And um, he was just a really, I his name was Dr. Armbrust. And, uh, you know, he affected me, I think, in ways that, that I don't even think that he's probably aware of. He just, just through his, his approach to life and, and um, kind of working with us to express that through writing, mm-hmm. um, I was a math science guy. You know, in Switzerland, in Switzerland, they put you into different um, concentrations, I guess you would call it, you know, like you don't just study everything. So, uh, you know, they put me in a math science 
um, faculty, I guess, when I was there, and I was totally lost. I mean, these guys had had physics for like seven years at this point, you know, chemistry for five. I had one of each. Because in, in, in an interview um, or in a podcast previous to this, I spoke with, um, sorry, a little shameless plug, uh, Jim Golden, superintendent of Sisters uh, uh, School District, uh, and he talked about the difference between American schools and other schools, China, uh, Europe, and um, one of the things that they do, particularly in China, is that they do a lot of sorting when they're young. So by the time we get into high school, like you said, then all these exactly. kids have had physics for seven years. And, and when we talk about the uh, averages between America and the rest of the world, we're not comparing apples to apples anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's two totally different. I mean, there are a bazillion different systems, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So Switzerland's kind of the same way. Like they put you into a different, you know, what, what, what your test scores and what your strength strengths are, you know, they, they sort of funnel you in those directions and, and it becomes very difficult then to, um, to switch as well. Like, like, you know, I've been back to Switzerland now many times all, all told, I've probably lived there close to four years now. And, and you have people who, for instance, like when you go into a master's program there, like when you continue on your education, something like 0.01% of people study something different for their master's program than they did, you know, starting in seventh grade. It's very, very difficult to be like, you know what? I, I really like this polyscience stuff. I know I've been studying Italian, but I really want to get into polyscience. I think I'm going to do a master's in that. It's almost impossible there. And we can have another whole conversation I, I about know. the pros I've and cons so of that. I know, I've questions just about that concept, but yeah. I, don't, I don't want to go off in left field. So, so getting back, I think, to... to to your question here is that um, I felt lost in Switzerland in the math science program, and I totally lost interest in it. Meanwhile, the the classes that I could participate in were like the history, philosophy. I couldn't really even participate in the English program there because while I knew the English, I didn't know the French. And for them, they were, it was you know a lot of translating back and forth. So I would mm-hmm. see the 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 tests, for instance, you know, like stagecoach, and I'd be like. Okay, I know exactly what that is. What is it in French? No idea. It's you know, coach. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but um, anyway, so yeah, I uh, I ended up uh, when I went to South Carolina and I met this this uh, you know this adjunct professor. I think he was an adjunct, Dr. Armbrust. Um, I sort of like, wow, you know what? This maybe I do like words and sort of the what it means to kind of you know be alive and, 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 that, and that sounds terrible I don't mean it quite like that but um you know there's a great line in Dead Poet Society where, where Robin Williams is talking about uh, bankers and lawyers and people you know who are who are very important to kind of keeping our lives going to keeping mm-hmm. our you know our world the way it is and so on and yet the poets and the writers are the ones who give us sort of a, a reason for living. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to your you know, sort of this romantic idea, obviously. But but something within me kind of clicked a little bit. I was like, you know what? I, I, I kind of like this. And so I wrote, for one of our first essays was I wrote a story about, um, you know, living in Switzerland. And sort of the the kind of my awakening there, that, that mountains and, and this different sort of going back to this kind of it was sort of my first tent story i guess yeah you know this waking up with the mountains and traveling like your tent story part two right well this was years before i even wrote the tent story this but you know the tent had obviously but influenced it, this but as my far thinking. as the stories and the awakenings therein i mean it sounds like switzerland was a big 
Oh yeah, yeah. For oh for sure. It's an, another huge pivot point, you know. So maybe not a pivot point so much as a, an acceleration point. Yeah. You know, I kind of already the tent had sort of like shot me down this different path. You know, kind of said, "Oh, what if you go this way?" And then excel. And then Switzerland was just like through you know fuel into that. Yes, I am on the right path. Yeah, and then I went to South Carolina, and I was, and there I thought, "Wow, this is no Switzerland." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, but. This path that you're on is could be really interesting. And so I ended up transferring out to Montana. I did another exchange program, a national student exchange program. A lot of people don't even know that program exists, but I don't even know what it is. Yeah, it's it's great. It's like it's like a exchange program, but between universities. So let's say you're studying in, in Georgia. Well, you know, you want to check out Hawaii for a semester or two semesters. Oh, yeah. You can transfer out there, pay whichever tuition's cheaper, and sort of get this national student exchange program okay so i did the same thing and and i I looked desperately for a place that looked like switzerland and and the closest i came was uh was montana i'd never been there before but but i got a brochure from montana state university mountains and mines it said across the the cover and it had like a guy kicking back on this beautiful peak overlooking a meadow and and i thought okay that's me i'm going there and uh showed up on the first day and was like something else clicked. I was like, this is great. So I ended up staying there for the next, I don't know, maybe seven years or so. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, and I did that. Like, like I went to Germany for a year in there. Mm-hmm. And so I was on the, the, the long program, but during that whole time, I, um, I remember waking up one night going, you know what? I kind of like this writing stuff. Um, maybe I should try to figure out a way to, you know, make a little money at it. Why not? Yeah. So I went up to the school newspaper and got a job as a designer. <laughs> Naturally, yeah. Naturally, I want to write. Well, here, design this for us. Exactly, (laughs) which is funny because I had zero idea how to use PageMaker. I think is what it was, you know. But they desperately needed people who could help lay things out, and and then they kind of threw me like a a little story about some students who went to the Sundance Festival, and so I went and I just interviewed, you know, the the lady about it, and I must have spent two hours like interviewing her, and then Mm -hmm. probably another four hours writing. And when I was done, I had like you know maybe 400 words yeah, <laughs> worth wow, of material. That, that many. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know. But I remember the editor of the paper came up and and um and she was like, "Wow, this is this is actually this is okay," you know. Which of course I expected, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. But you know what I mean? It, it was just a confidence boost like but I've been reading newspapers and and I and I thought, "Well, I can imitate sort of what they're doing here." Mm-hmm. You yeah. need nice catchy lead you need some details you need some quotes you need some stats who hasn't ripped off Hemingway or Faulkner or something (laughs) right right. but um and then I remember the 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 section editor uh got a hold of it and came back to me and it was just all marked up in red just all this stuff you know and I remember thinking who is she to tell me this but it was simple stuff like style like California is not California it's C-A-L-I-F dot you know like just the AP style things like that but and then I remember like oh the, right the I'm gonna be science, editor the math and science stuff of the writing world right right exactly yeah. I was like yeah oh so I'm, I'm I'm gonna be edited okay this could be interesting and I think that was also kind of a a key point to sort of where I am now is is ex- I think a lot of writers especially when they're starting out see editors almost as the enemy the people who are squashing their voice the people who are out to just kind of make them into something they don't want to be made mm-hmm. into. And I, I kind of took the opposite approach. I was like, these people, for the most part, these people know how to make me sound smarter. And so why, why wouldn't I yeah. do that? 
you know. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that hasn't been the case, but I've been very, very fortunate to work with some very, very good editors. Anyway, so it just it spiraled from there. I got a job at the newspaper um, while I was still in school, and then I went traveling through South America for a year. Did my first freelance story from there, and then came back and uh, found out Outside Magazine had internships. So I oh really? So that was my foothold into the magazine world. As I loaded up my Ford Escort with pretty much everything I owned, and I could still sleep in the back of it. And drove from Maryland out to uh, to New Mexico for five fifteen an hour, and it was the best thing I ever did. Nice. Yeah. And how how old were you at this time? I was I was a little bit older for the internship program. I moved out there on January tenth, my birthday, two thousand. So I was twenty seven when I moved out there. I'm now gotcha. forty two. One forty one. God. Uh, yeah. That's... I, 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 for, as for some reason, when I get older, I keep th- saying I'm. Oh, I'm just getting old, so I'm forty two. No, well, I'm forty one and a half. Yeah, yeah. At our at our age, we don't need to accelerate anymore. We just need to hang out with yeah. people older. So, but I do read it. I do read at the forty five year old level, though. So, excellent. Yeah. excellent. <laughs> well, you're accelerated then. Yes. <laughs> it must have been that Swiss Swiss training. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so as far as your your writing ability is that a natural gift is that a natural affinity um were you lucky that you just got that um that internship did you work your butt off i mean what what's what are the ingredients in your secret sauce that's a good question because no i'm not i'm not naturally gifted if i were i would be you know a salman rushdie or and not not to say that he doesn't work hard but, um, yeah, no, I'm not naturally gifted in that department at all. I've just um, – but I, I think the, the secret sauce for me – and it's funny because I have to give a talk in a couple months, and, and I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I think in order to write well, you need to live well. You need to have a certain breadth in your library, so to speak. Not your physical library, but in sort of like your, your experiences, the, you know – um, you know, your interactions with people and so on. And the reason I think that I've been able to get to where I am today is because of my, I have an insatiable curiosity. I could ask you questions all day long. Not because uh, I like hearing you talk or like, you know, or why, you know, because I'm, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Here. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I do like hearing you talk. I do like hearing your story. I do like hearing your sort of experience in this funny life that that you know we all have here. And through the through that curiosity, um, you begin to piece things together. You begin to see certain connections. You begin to like understand some of the bigger themes, you know, in people's lives and and in your own life and things like that. So, you know, but then translating all of that. You know, into something that's actually readable and something that you know somebody would actually pay you to to write uh, is a huge step, huge, huge, huge step. And that's where I've had um, mentors and uh, people who have really taken me under their wing. And you know, and I and I, it's kind of like with language. Like I just love language, and I can see the pieces and and wonder about the pieces and then experiment with the pieces and same sort of thing with, with the writing, you know, and I've had mentors who can say, don't, don't mess with those pieces. Those are solid pieces. Like leave them as they are, you know, don't try to do this. Don't try to do the writing for me has been a a, a big exercise in don't 
because we tend to want to overdo things. We want to like make our voice, you know, exceptional or something. And, and, and the best writing for me is, is when you can strip all of that away because when you do, you realize and you lay bare sort of these, these, um, you know, universal themes almost you realize and stripping them bare, just how complicated they become. It was like that, um, like that great quote that even Patagonia, the company uses, but, um, you know, uh, Piece is done not when you can add more to it, but when you can't strip anything else away. Is that do you follow that? I don't. I don't. I don't think there's like any sort of um, you know recipe I follow, but I definitely will go through many, 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 many drafts of a story. And people, I don't think understand that. I think you know a lot of times people think, oh, he he does a lot of travel writing. He sits around on in a Tahitian bungalow with an umbrella drink and just you know. Taps out a few words on his laptop and that's good. Are you no, you don't? no, 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 no. Oh, sorry, <laughs> interview is over. Yeah. No, 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 no. You know, in fact, I just had I just had, went kind of through this experience not too long ago. I, I had to uh, write a story. Um, I uh, w- one of the cooler assignments I had this year. One of the more conflicting assignments that I had this year was I went to North Korea for seven very long nights, and uh, I had to write a, a story about it. And um, I had already written quite a few different versions of what I was trying to get at. And I sat down. I was, I was visiting my wife's parents in, in Missoula, Montana. And I sat down in their, in their basement and started writing it. And I would write from, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning till noon, take a break, write till about 5, meet them for appetizers upstairs and, you know, have a glass of wine and then put my daughter to bed and then work till probably about 3 in the morning. And, uh, you know, each morning they'd be like, so you're done with your story? <laughs> and it's like, it does not work that way. It's like, I am like just getting going. And since then, I mean, that was what, three, four weeks ago, a month ago. And I'm still working on it. Like the, just the drafts just keep getting hopefully better and better and better. But it's, it's a long, long, long process. Well, and it's funny, I'm finding a lot of parallels between you and me. Not only in our height and our affinity for wearing glasses, but um, but I, I I'm definitely not a writer of note. That's something I, I probably should have pursued when I was younger, but I didn't. So here we are. But um, but you call it curiosity. I call it my healthy dose of ADD. They're, they're most things interest me. Um, and and the thing that I find is, you know, the the spice of life or the the secret sauce that just makes things that much more interesting is is having that um, breadth of knowledge um, so that we can make those connections between surfing and guitar or volleyball and beer. I mean, you know, no one would make those connections unless you had someone with this mindset that that you certainly have and I have a a fair amount of uh, trying to find the connection and and find that sweet, uh, the sweetness in life. Yeah. Um, You know, like, like all the authors that you've read and I've read, it's just kind of you find something so mundane like sleeping outside in a tent but i mean that's an extraordinary experience and in the right hands of the of the right type of mind so when you go into these stories when you go into korea or these other stories how do you find those connections how do you find that hook in your story how do you find that thing that draws people in you know that's a that's a really really good question and i struggle with that every time i sit down for sure but generally you know i've been doing this long enough now that i've found certain shortcuts shortcuts and ways to kind of help speed up that process a little bit. And basically that is to, to go into a place and just kind of absorb it. 
just like look around, you know, ask questions about and in North Korea you have to be very careful about all this stuff. I mean, we can get into that later, but but you know, you you start to just just let your curiosity kind of seep into the place a little bit. And then, and then, you know, and then it in turn, the place begins to seep into you. And then people are always like, well, then do you write your stories on the plane rides back? I'm like, there's no way I can do that. It's sort of like the actual visiting of a place and reporting of a place is kind of like grocery shopping. Like you're going and you're like, oh, wow, that bok choy looks kind of good. Let's, oh, and smells nice too. And so you put that in your basket and you're like, oh, look at that cinnamon. I've never seen it in a jar like that. So you put that in your basket. You know, you're just sort of out there gathering ingredients just because they're kind of interesting or they're, or they're, you like them for some reason or because you think they're important or, you know, and a lot of times the things that then end up sticking are things that you didn't really think that were that important. But later on, after it's sort of all, you get home and you you know, you're replaying it in your mind. And generally what will happen is the, the things that you remember most are th- usually the, the, the key points of a story. The things that, that you like. The pieces that just kind of fit together. Well, the pieces themselves. that just sort of burble up to the top. Yeah. You know, a, a friend always used to say, well, how would you tell this story if you were sitting next to a friend at the bar? And I never really understood that. But, but you know, because I would just babble, I guess. But the thing I think that that, <laughs> that tip is trying to get at is that, you know, the things that you remember most, the things that are most uh, salient, I guess, or, or like the creepiest or the most uplifting or the, the funniest, those are the elements that you kind of start to like shape into your little, you know, into, into your tail that you want to weave. And then you kind of like start building a, I guess, a theme around them. And then the, there's a bazillion pieces that go into writing. You know, you're looking for interesting characters. You're looking for good dialogue. You're looking for some sort of attention in a story. Not, nece- not necessarily conflict, but some sort of like, some sort of tension that kind of helps move the narrative along. You're looking for, you know, imagery that you can sort of keep dropping into a story that, that perhaps, you know, signifies something bigger in the piece. Like in the in the Korea piece, there's um, sort of an image of, of just light and dark and sort of, you know, and, and sort of the play on these two um, that I'm trying to tease out. And then you have an editor that comes in and says, dude, you're, you're meta-thinking this. Just back off and yeah. just tell the story. <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah, right. Sorry, got, got kind of lost there. So... Do you ever approach a story with a, um, a preconceived notion or a particular niche or, or kind of like the seed of a story implanted and you just need to try and, and find the pieces and assemble it? For sure. Like when, you know, to, to get a magazine to, to throw down thousands of dollars to send you someplace, you know, you kind of have to have a pretty good idea of what it is that you're going to come back with. Yeah. Now that said things change dramatically. Sometimes you get there and you're like, oh my God, this isn't anything at all like what the internet said it was <laughs> or whatever, you yeah, know? Yeah. And so, but but you still have this kind of tool bag where you can go out and be like, oh, okay. And you can kind of start piecing things together and, mm-hmm. and see how it goes and then come home and that's where the, the real, you know, bleeding takes place. Well, I was a outside magazine subscriber for years and years and years and years and years and um, and to this day, I still remember my favorite story, and I believe it was by Eric Hansen. Um, do you know which one I'm going to tell? Well, I don't, but that's Eric Hansen. I have a picture of him right up there. We were all buddies at outside together. Oh, we, we need to get a picture of that to put on the, the blog post, and, and I'll include this story uh, in the blog post too because I, I still refer back to it sometimes when I need a little creative juice. But anyway, his story was uh, – and, of course – 
I'm just reading the story and then kind of filling in all the details. So the details in my head is he was sent to do a story on the Cinque Terre. <laughs> I know exactly <laughs> you know, what you, you mean. Story? Yes. He's uh, going to row between the towns. Oh, yeah. He's going to row between the towns. <laughs> and, and and I thought, okay, I, I, I wandered through the Cinque Terre uh, with my... With my uh, with my uh, bride and our honeymoon, and uh, I got to read the story. And he starts off, "Dear editors, how are you? I'm <laughs> fine." And he goes on to talk about how he, he basically spent way too much money right. to get the story. And now he's, he's in Switzerland, and, not even in Italy at yeah, this point. He, yeah, you're sitting somewhere else completely. Trying it was some some guy that he doesn't you know I, I doesn't really know or didn't speak English or something like that. And he's trying to figure out how to salvage this this uh, this assignment. <laughs> And and, and 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 he never really did tell the story that he was sent there for, but the story he ended up telling, I mean, to this day, I still go back, and th- this was like from four or five years ago, I still go back and read that every once in a while, just because it was it was probably a moment of, uh, of brilliance that I imagine was spawned out of a moment of absolute desperation. Yeah, so Eric, Eric that I can't remember if it was that story, but Eric had sort of built up uh, kind of a, a certain career of a voice for himself with, with those kinds of adventures that um, that then spawned a column that he then wrote called mm-hmm. uh, Out of Bounds, like going going somewhere boldly, you know, yeah. <laughs> just sort of like just throwing himself into these. Because I've talked with him before. He's like, uh, you know, about his sort of approach to storytelling. And, and, you know, before I go someplace, I'm just like, I'm setting up Google alerts to like alert me to certain things happening and where I'm going. You know, I'm like reading up on whatever I can on the place. Eric basically throws a toothbrush into a backpack and says, okay, place, here I am. It just goes, which I think is just wonderful. And, 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 and that's the sense I get reading that particular story. It was like, I, I don't know. I'm just going to tell a story. And it was just woven together magically. Right. See, so Eric is someone who has like a, a, a certain natural talent that, that can just like let that stuff fly. And it gotcha. becomes across... So great, but yeah. So he's just kind of like a Jimi Hendrix on on the page that he can just you know, all right, I'll just let it rip. Yeah, you know, I'll I'll let him comment on on it on which musician he thinks he is, but but okay. he, he's he's definitely maybe a jazz guy, just kind of yeah, uh, really good at improvising and making it all just sing. Nice. So, um, getting back to your career, um, what have been some of the the lowest points and the highest points? Hmm. You know, I think I think there are low points every day. You know, um, you know when you're sitting around going, "Oh God, I should be at this point. I should be writing for National Geographic. I should be doing stuff for the New York Times Magazine." Um, you know, sort of the, these sort of self doubt moments, or these moments of like unrealized ambition, I guess. Um, but I, in more concrete terms. I think there was a low point when we moved back from Switzerland. I, I took a, a couple year uh, hiatus from, from, I mean, I still, I was still writing, uh, freelancing, but I had a real job. I was working for a, a Swiss, um, news service based in Bern. Wonderful, wonderful time. Very complicated time. We moved there when my wife was six months pregnant. She's got this nesting instinct. I'm like, no, let's just shred that all up. Go someplace where you'll have no friends, not speak yeah. the language and not have any family. All what do you say? Need, all we need are backpacks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so, um, but, but we made it work. We made it work really well. And, um, all of a sudden I felt like a grown up. I was like, I had a, I had a great job. I mean, on the professional fulfillment side, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't anywhere near as exciting as what I'm doing now, but it, but it was still fun and challenging and, and, uh, but in different ways. And, 
And, um, and most of all, we were stable. It was like, my wife didn't have to work. We had health insurance. We had all that stuff, you know? And, um, not that we didn't have it before, but, but in Switzerland, it's very, if you, it's very A to B. If you do everything you need to do in A, B isn't guaranteed. You know, whereas here it's like, uh, A, B's out there somewhere, but if not, there's always C and D, you know? Well, especially a lot of us have discovered in the recent economy that sometimes B just falls out from underneath. Exactly. But we also then have C and D, whereas in Switzerland, it's like, a, you just do what you want, need to do, and you can get to B. And what do you mean B doesn't exist? If that if that happened there, I mean the country would fall apart. I think, not that they don't have options, but but it's just very very uh, much more, um, you know, organized. Yeah, organized, but also very not a whole lot of surprises, mm. which I think, you know, spawns a whole other conversation about creativity and and sort of you know a desire to kind of make things happen by the way thank you for saying whole other (laughs) (laughs) yes you'll have to and that is a whole other conversation (laughs) right there too yes anyway yeah you'll have to i have to excuse you that time anyway um but uh Nah, I forgot I, what you're asking. I know. This is what happens when you get two guys who have that healthy dose of ADD. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, exactly. Um, anyway, your your lowest point. Your oh, point. yeah, right. So when we moved back from Switzerland, um, you know, I, I wanted to f- start freelance again, but I hadn't been in the fishbowl for a couple of years. And so I'd only done like a couple stories. And all of a sudden I was back to doing it full time. And um, yeah, it was a complicated time for sure. Like it was hard to just get things going. We were like losing money hand over fist, just just on our day to day like reentry stuff, you yeah. know. Um, and so I was like, "What are we doing? Why am I doing this? Why aren't we back in Switzerland where it's like we would be, you know, just everything just was so clear." And now, um, I still miss Switzerland for sure and our experience over there, but now I realize, wow, like it's so fun what I'm doing now. And, and so I think in that regard, that's the highlight is that knowing that, wow, you you made this work. You actually made this work, you know, that I wanted to be a freelance writer from a, you know, fairly early on in my career. And that's what I am. You know, I used to have problems telling people that because I just sounded like I was full of baloney, you know, and now people ask me, you know, what, you know, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a writer. I'm a writer, just sort of that accepting, and I think that's that all encompassing writer. Yeah, just you know, I'm a writer. I used to be like, well, I, I, I you know, I do things, you know, or what. I don't know why I had this. I just felt like it was, it was just hard to talk to people about it because it would either kind of derail conversations or, or just they would have a certain you know, idea of who I was or I don't know what it was. Just me is what the problem was. But I, um, yeah, so, so that was obviously, I, I think, a big highlight is just sort of this accepting me. I'm like, this is my, uh, this is who I am. This is where I fit in to this whole picture. I don't think I'm ever, I mean, I hope so, but I don't think I'm ever going to, like, be a contract writer for The New Yorker. I don't think I'm ever going to, you know, write a book that changes humanity, you know, I, but that said, I, I feel like I can fit into my little slot and fill it well. I feel like I can, fi- I found my ground and then I can, can do, do well with that, you know. And so it sounds like, and I, I kind of want to dive into this topic a little bit, but um, when you came back and you gave up your, your secure uh, Swiss A to B job, you now have a daughter, you have a family, and, and, 
you know, of course, now you have the you know, like like you put it, you know, I felt like an adult because now it's not just like let's wing it. Now now we need a plan for this. They're not having a roof and not having food for a day is no longer acceptable when you have a child. Right. Yeah. The game definitely changed. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Um. But yet you you uh, you you went off into this risky endeavor of of business of adventure of. Um, and it sounds like there was a bit of trepidation, maybe a, a bit of doubt. How did you work through that and not just give up and go back to your cush, easy, secure life? Well, there was a period, you know, probably the six months on reentry where I was like, you know, it's not too late for us to go back. We could probably figure out a way to go back, you know. And um, thank goodness we didn't. You know, I still sort of wrestle with that because our lives would be so different right now and in very good ways and also ways that would be like kind of wanting a little bit I think and, and my my the plan was to eventually kind of come back when my daughter was uh, about five or six which she is now mm-hmm. just because of the school system there a very good school system um they're always at the top you know and all that but but again it went back to that like I think we get a certain thing here by um by just being American, you know, and just sort of it's in our spirit to make things happen and so on. And so going back to your question, I, I was like, well, I've always sort of made things happen in the past. Why can't I make them happen now? And it kind of came to a head. Uh, I mean, work slowly began picking up again. They were like, oh, he's back in the States, you know, and, and so I was back in the fishbowl. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also I, I came up with a plan. I just said, okay, you know, if this is what it's going to take for us to live here, for us to do, you know, here's, here's what has to happen. And I literally, I had, I think it was like a 48-hour, you know, plane layover journey to, to uh, Western Australia. And it had kind of come to a head with my wife. I was traveling a lot, trying to make things work, and it just the numbers weren't working out. And so, it, you know, and it was clear that it was really affecting her. And so... um on that plane ride, I came up with basically a business plan. Said, I mean, it was the English major 101 business plan, you know, but it was a business plan. I said, okay, start. yeah, like the median income, the median household income here in Bend, you know, according to like the census, I think is about right around $50,000. It's like 52, I think, in Bend and 50 for the state or whatever. So I said, okay, if I'm alone going to try to make that much, like what do I have to do to make this work? How many stories do I have to sell? At this length, how many stories do I have to sell at feature length? How many like assignments do I have to get from the New York Times? Stuff like that. And just sort of plotted it out into 10-week mm-hmm. cycles. And um, I won't bore you with the details, but, but it basically worked. And what happened was it just showed me how much more work I could be taking on, how much more um, of like certain types of assignments I did not need to take on, things like that. And so... Uh, yeah, so so basically, just I turned it into a business. I started thinking. You're right. I have a child now. I have like you know we we've owned our house for a while, but but you know it was like I need to to grow up in this. It's not just look when I first start when I was first starting out, I would get a five hundred dollar assignment from like backpacker, like top ten things to take in your backpack that oh, yeah. you never thought you needed to take or whatever. I'd be like woohoo, and then take the month off. Oh yeah, you know because yeah. I had. Five hundred bucks, five hundred dollars. You know, I could like pay my rent. I could put gas in my car. You know, I just I didn't need that. But yeah. things have obviously changed now. So I just came up with this plan and said, okay. And it uh, then I just kind of made it happen. And so what is what has been the highest point? 
The highest point. I mean, I think there have been several um, high points. You know, everything from, you know, moving out in the tent, you know, because that's certainly changed direction. Um, I, I, you know, sort of these pivot points have been kind of high, highlights. You know, meeting my wife, obviously, uh, going to Switzerland, living there, coming back. Uh, but, you know, in terms of, like, actual, you know, specifics, I guess, would be, you know, when I got um, – you know, one of my stories was put in Best American Sports Writing, which is an anthology that come up every year where, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of magazine articles that they comb through and then they select like the best 12, you know, say, and, and then anthologize them. And um, so like, when I got the email that I was going to be in that, I thought it was pretty, pretty sweet. I felt like I'd arrived, you know, and then getting, um, you know, having the, the New York Times, you know, not flinch at all when I pitched them a, a story about the Galapagos and like, yeah, okay, buy your plane ticket, you know, like things like that or Men's Journal calling me up. Think, and, did you think you just got away with something that you shouldn't have? Sort of, yeah, you know, and I think I, that happens on every assignment a little bit. I'm kind of like, God, I really don't quite know what I'm doing, but I, I hope but, someone uh, doesn't catch wind of this. Right, <laughs> exactly, you know. But yeah, there's been some really, really fun fun assignments i remember like you know men's journal called me up one time they're like look we'd, we'd really like to to send you to i do a lot of climbing so we'd really like to send you to egypt to climb the pyramids can you find out if that's even legal and so i did all this research and found out that it's not really legal but not illegal either you know and there's a whole story behind that but they were like great you leave tuesday and so boom you know next thing i know i'm like in egypt and it was like you know racing through the pyramid complex at night with like this egyptian guide you know um things like that or just even this past winter like um realizing that hey north korea has a ski area and being able to call up a magazine and being like you know this is this could be a really cool story and then uh being willing to work with me on that i mean that's that's kind of every writer's dream, I think, or at least in, in this genre of writing, to be able to like. Well, it seems like you got you got a, a a very coveted and rare key to the secret kingdom. Yeah, and it's not really a secret kingdom; it's a kingdom that you get through, get to by, uh, I think, perseverance. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, and and being willing to listen and and to um, put your ego way, way, way in the backyard and just kind of like play the game for a bit and. Yeah, and then once you're sort of in then and kind of start building trust, then yeah, then then you know, the New York Times may call you up and be like, Can you go to Panama next week? Sure. Awesome, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um with with be it writing, be it North Korea, be it um traveling, um whatever challenge you face, how do you get through these? Uh, be, uh, maybe being a father and a husband. I mean, how do you get through these challenges? How do you how do you find the reward through the risk? Um, Give us your top ten tips. Yeah, yeah. So, I, just to, just to be clear here, so you are you asking how I face challenges or how I deal with risk? Because um, I think those are two separate separate things. Do you? I, yeah. Uh, fair enough. Um, how do you um, work through? challenges I have a better answer for risk <laughs> how do you work through <laughs> risk no, okay no so with, with challenges I, th I think um, 
the key is realizing that there are people out there who know far more than you do about almost anything. You know, you yourself obviously have your own experiences and together you can create your own sort of expertise and your own sort of, you know, product, I guess, if you will. But, uh, but realizing, you know, that there are people out there who can help you just being like, just pulling over and asking for directions, you know, that sort of idea, like, you know, facing So in, in, in with writing, uh, I have some very trusted colleagues, you know, who are also writers or former editors, things like that. And I can bounce things off them be like, look, you know, I'm really having a hard time like wrapping this scene up. Is, is this making sense? And then I can float things by them and they can like shred it and tell me, no, it's not. Or this is working, play this up, you know? So just having that, that, that community, I think mm-hmm. is key in working through a lot of challenges. On the more personal level, um, I think, you know, I, I, I work through certain challenges by just taking a breath, being like, okay, this is, seems overwhelming and seems really complicated, but just, just hang on, just, you know, and go for a hike for a little bit and kind of let things air out, kind of then, and then maybe start deconstructing them a little bit into like, what are the true sticking points here? What is the real reason that this is a challenge? Is it because you don't know it or is it because you're, you're afraid of it or is it because you're in way over your head? Well, why, why are you in way over your head? You know? So just kind of like deconstructing a little bit and then kind of tackling things bit by bit and you sort of can, can kind of move through them. I think a little bit easier. It, it seems a little less difficult. It's kind of like, I think, climbing a mountain i remember the first time i climbed mount rainier just seemed i remember driving up to that thing and just being like oh my god i'm gonna climb that that's gonna like what am i doing what am i doing that's gonna destroy me and then just being like you know what i'm gonna make it from here to that rock and then you know two minutes later make it to that rock like okay i'm gonna make it from here to that like little dip in the snow and then all of a sudden you look back and the rock and the snow and everything all your other marks are just straight out you know strewn out behind you you're like oh wow, I've actually made progress. And sort of recognizing that you have grown, that you have made progress, I think is key to helping you build the confidence to face other challenges. Awesome. And, and then as far as what about risk? So it's funny because, you know, I, I'm sorry to keep coming back to the North Korea thing, but that, that sort of, um, that was the first assignment that I've had in a while that wasn't, that wasn't fun. You know, I mean, I've had, I, I've had a lot of really fun assignments and I've had a lot of assignments that are, or like just a ton of hard work. I mean, they're all hard work, but they've always been fun in some way. And North Korea was was just not fun, you know? It was parachuting into this place that was just so dark and sad and full of brutality. And then seeing these like little sparks of humanity and hope there um, while uplifting, it just made you realize how deep, the sadness runs there, you know, by having these like little moments of hope, they kind of just brought into context, right? It brought the, you know, just, just how the, this gulf between joy and reality there that's going on. And, but, but before that, um, it, you know, I was thinking, God, I'm going to North Korea. I've got this assignment to go and talk to my wife about it. And she of course was, not exactly thrilled with that and Mm -hmm. because there are certain risks you know but uh, the biggest risks there are the unknowns you know like and that gets to the larger i think question um that you're asking here is is how do you deal with risk well first of all you pinpoint your unknowns 
what are the things that could happen? What are the things that might happen? And so on. And start like working through those. And again, there are people out there who know a lot more than you do. So, so the idea with something like North Korea was just to ask people who had been there, who had done sort of what I was going to go there to do, who knew far more about how things worked there than I did, sort of run my plan by them, hear what they had to say. And in that sense, what happens is it's kind of like climbing and that you can build redundant safety systems with, with, with surprisingly little effort, but you have to know what you're doing. You have to know what are the things that could get you in trouble? Well, how do I avoid those? How do I, how do I keep myself from getting in the position of possibly messing up, you know, just Mm -hmm. eliminating risks, you know, and then being like, you know, but these are the ones that you do have to take. I think climbing would be the perfect metaphor for what you're describing. And of course, sadly, there's, not everyone's going to understand that metaphor, but I mean, you know, with to kind of land that plane for those who aren't climbers, if you climb uh, with a rope trailing behind you or underneath you, you, you set a piece of protection in the rock and you clip the rope in there. So if you fall from that point, you you don't fall 50 feet, you fall two feet. Right. Or even like, yeah. But if, yeah. But if you go a little bit too far out of, away from that protection that you'd set up, metaphorically speaking. I mean, if you wander off in a dark alley away from your guide, away from the lit street in North Korea, then... Yeah, well, you can't even... Yeah, that's, <laughs> not, that's not even possible in North Korea. But yeah, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, just a, so just this idea of like, if something goes wrong, if something fails, that you're not going to plummet. It's not going to be catastrophic. No, you're going to have these backup systems in place to kind of catch you. And that's, I think that's key. Gotcha. Do you still experience doubt? Oh, every day, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you. I don't think any human on the earth doesn't experience doubt. You know, maybe, and if they don't, then I think they're kind of, maybe not kidding themselves, but they they haven't, um, uh, you know, sort of taken a hard look at at who they are, I guess. And that sounds arrogant. I don't mean it that way, but I think doubt is a natural and and, you know, a very good force actually because I think it it can tease out, um, you know, your own sort of sticking points. Be like, why, well, why do I feel these doubts? And then you realize that maybe it's just fear or that it's, um, you know, something that's beyond your control and you have to work within this framework to make it happen or whatever, you know. But I, I, th- I think... something not even about you altogether. Yeah, right, exactly. But doubt can also be very, very, a, a very negative force as well if, if you let it be sort of the only voice in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, every time I... I sit down to do a story i'm like oh god this is gonna stink what am i doing you know or like oh absolutely every time yeah you know and then it's the worst it's the it's the worst feeling in the world it's like every time i sit down to write something i'm like why am i doing this this just why can't i just like you know being an economist or something you know and then i um get it done you know get a draft down and then things start taking shape and and with that, the excitement grows, and then you start working with an editor on it, and they start like fine tuning it and help you really making it making it sing. And then they, just this whole long process. Um, and by the time it comes out into, into print, you look at this thing, and it's the best feeling in the world. You're like, oh my god, why would I ever do anything different? This is just amazing. I can't, you know what I mean? Just to I got to do it again. I've got to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> so I've yet to sort of figure out how to just skip those troughs what what are your techniques for moving through the doubt the fear the insecurity the the negative mind just diving in you know i think um 
at least in terms of writing, you know, the, the, the doubt is to just kind of start doing it to realize, oh, you do, you actually do know how to do this. And the first draft of anything is going to stink. There's just no doubt about that. You know, on a more personal level, um, I, I sort of, I try to take stock every now and then of everything that I do have versus everything that I don't have. You know, I think people, uh, including myself, tend to want to um, look at their, the trajectory of their lives of what could have been, you know, what should have been mm-hmm. or so on, instead of what is and what was. Mm-hmm. And finding a certain amount of um, appreciation and thankfulness you know, for those, for those, um, for those moments, I guess, that have made us who us are, who we are, um, really kind of help make you see, you know what, maybe things aren't so bad. Now that said, there's something, you know, that, that's me. I feel like I've led a very charmed life. I feel like the universe at times has just opened up for me. Just been like, you know what, you're going to get that internship at, at Outside Magazine. You know, I mean, just things that, 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 I don't like to use the word deserve because I don't think, you know, you deserve better. It's like, I, I just don't buy that. I don't think we deserve certain things. I think we, we make them happen. We work for them. We like, you know, whatever. But, but there are bad things that happen to people for mm-hmm. sure. For sure. You know, a terrible, terrible, terrible things and things that they definitely do not deserve, you know. Um, and so it's, I, I think it's hard to kind of apply what I just said in a universal sense, but that, that definitely works for me. Well, I, I think uh, with some of the... I don't like using the R word regret, uh, but some of the opportunities that I let pass by, such as traveling in college, I remember thinking, oh, I can't afford that and not really making the connection that that's exactly what I'm paying right now, except I could do it in Columbia. And, and so I, I didn't take advantage of that opportunity. But now at this age, I, I use that as fuel. Regret? Yeah, just, just well, I, like I said, I don't like to use that R word because, as you just described, our path has made us who we are. We are, and, and there's no going back. So, I mean, regret's like a rocking chair. It's not going to get you anywhere. But but, um, but using that as fuel to move us forward. And and, um, and, and while you say you've lived a charmed life, uh, you have um, taken advantage of those opportunities. I think those two stories of, of chasing down those rabbit holes and skipping past those rabbit holes kind of tell the same story of, you know, even if you didn't before, you still can now. Absolutely, um, and, yeah. and I and I don't believe that uh, it's too late for hardly anyone. I mean, it, there's I think there's rare exceptions that um, of people who can't suddenly just switch gears and do something that they've always wanted, paid, right. or, paid right. or not paid, just do it. Oh, for sure. You know, I th- the game changes for sure. The framework changes, um, but there's no reason why you can't make the most of you know what what you know, realm you've been given, what, within your own framework, you know, and I think that's, honest, honestly, I think that's what makes people happy or miserable. Yeah, yeah. and especially, at, I mean, I'm, we're, we're both in our early 40s, technically, we're, shoot, we're at halftime, and anyone who's watched uh, the, the World Cup where I first met you or played sports, I mean, halftime is halftime, we still got the second half to go. For sure. Let's, let's yeah. finish the sucker off. Right, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Um, so, so having lived around the world, having traveled around the world, you you have and could live anywhere in the world. Why on earth have you chosen Central Oregon? Um, 
Yeah, that's that's a good question. You know, I I have I think the number of places countries I've been now is, you know, seventy some. I think I haven't really. I kind of lost count around sixty, and I went to ten last year alone. So, it, you yeah, know, most there, people don't have that problem. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, I digress again. And there are amazing places, not just in our country, but all around the world that mm-hmm. that like um, that I could kind of you know see myself spending a lot of time in for sure because they just kind of speak to me. I ended up in Central Oregon uh, because the girl was here. It was the X factor, as a friend of mine calls it. You know, the, the so, double X factor. Yeah, <laughs> just the you know the relationship factor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I met my wife actually while I was a reporter in Montana. And uh, we uh, dated there for, I was basically on my way out. She was on her way in. Uh, so we dated, our paths crossed, and we just dated for that brief little moment there. And then, and then we reconnected uh, many years later, you know, like I think it was probably five years later or so. And by that point, she had left Montana, and she was now uh, out here in Bend. And I had left uh, Montana and gone traveling through South America, ended up back in Maryland for a little bit, and then was in New Mexico which is where Outside Magazine is based, doing that internship. And we just randomly reconnected one day, and uh, just over the phone. And um, that sort of kicked everything off again. And so she came down and visited me. I came up here and visited her, and we did the long-distance relationship thing for a bit. And then it got to the point where it was like one of us had to move. you know. And she was like, well, I'll come down and wait tables and you know, in New Mexico. And by that point I was freelance and I was like, or I could come up to Bend, Oregon and keep doing what I wanted to do. Uh, and there were claw marks all the way up from New Mexico. It was a hard place to leave. I really? felt, yeah, especially in your like late twenties, early thirties, you know, a guy who had sort of found his, you know, raison d'etre traveling around the world, like walking out of my door in Santa Fe, New Mexico was like walking out of my door and to some foreign land. Like, you know, you were just like, okay, what's going to happen today? It just felt really different and interesting and exciting. And Ben felt very, um, not milk toast, but felt very just sort of like new West, you know, like timber town finds itself, you know, reborn as adventure capital mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And then, um, I got up here and, you know, I had visited a couple times and I thought, oh, yeah, it is kind of a cool town. This was in 2002, the first time I came up. And um, it didn't take very long to realize, oh, my God, this place is perfect for me. Uh, it doesn't have, you know, the, 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 the cultural stuff that New Mexico has for sure. That's fine. What it does have is four seasons that you can find in four seasons and, and by that i mean like in winter time if you want summer you head out to the desert mm-hmm. in summertime if you want winter you head up into the mountains like we can see snow right now and yeah. it's you know mid-july yeah they're, they're skiing in mount hood right now yeah exactly you know it's got all of these things i i'm a you know i, I like to joke that that i came up here for the girl but but skiing kept me here and that's totally not true and sorry heidi that's totally not true yes, but we, we, we love you dear <laughs> yes yeah indeed <laughs> But that said, like, you know, this winter was a quote-unquote bad winter for a lot of people. You know, Colorado had a good winter and so on. This was a strange winter. Strange winter, and it's still amazing. Like, even a bad winter, you know, here is still a great winter. Like, a bad winter in New Mexico means they don't open up the top of the mountain until maybe mid-February because there's no snow. Bad winter here means, you know what, there's only a six-foot base instead of an 18-foot base or whatever, you know. So just that, that... 
sporting side, uh, I, I really enjoy. I think it's a great town for raising kids. Like, I'm so thankful that my daughter will be going to school and growing up here in Bend versus Santa Fe. I mean, Santa Fe is a great town. It's not a great kid town. Um, I mean, the brewery scene that's exploded here, unbelievable. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I know. I have not read or heard of, and, and so I would defer to your travels of any other scene that has this many breweries per capita or just this. Uh, yeah, a yeah, town with 80,000 people. It's just amazing. What, 14, 17? I, I mean, oh, no, no, count. We're, no, we're um, just in Central Oregon, including Sisters and Redmond um, and Sun River. Uh, I think we're getting, I, I think we've surpassed 25. Okay. I okay. think we're getting. The lion's share, though, though, are obviously right, you know, here in town. In Bend, of course. Yeah. There's easily 20 in Bend. Right, and right. they're all amazing. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And, and it's funny because you get so spoiled. Like, I didn't realize this. Like, you go someplace like Colorado, you know, which, you know, sort of when the whole craft brew thing was taking yeah. off, like, Colorado was a big place, you know, yeah. Alaska, you know, things like that. You go and have a beer in, now in Fort Collins or wherever, you're like, oh. Yeah, I mean, this might sell in Bend, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you're just yeah. like, you know, yeah, <laughs> this to, is to like the Cretans. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is a C minus beer, you yeah. know. Yeah. And I've I've had beers at other breweries in other towns. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, we really do have it good. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that their beer was bad. It's just that our beer is just head and shoulders up. Yeah. 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 But kind of, but uh, there's one other thing I want to say. But also, you know, Central Oregon, for me, is just. Also, from um, you know a business perspective, was also a great move because you know people like Bend. People want to know about Bend. So from the writing thing, like there's lots of stories I could do, kind of just about Bend, like fairly simple stories, you know. Yeah. But then we have the coast. I grew up on you know on the Atlantic, and now we have the coast, which is you know it's only six hours away, or maybe not even that, you know. But and I just love having mountains, desert, lakes, big trees, scrub coast sand all right here you know it's yeah for a guy with you know as you said healthy add it's you know i can just find something any and in any direction i look so yeah i totally agree and, and every time i share someone the story of central oregon my my common refrain is whatever it is that you're into we pretty much have it whether if i mean okay i grew up in southern california and i still like to surf a couple hours to the west is a great surf spot. You just put on a nice warm wetsuit, which the technology of those these days are is fantastic. So yeah, you just go for sure. surf some amazing waves. Yeah, yeah. And then come back here and, and then go paddle and play sand volleyball and ski and be rodeo and martial arts and food and you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So, Tim, how do you define and live the good life? That's a good question. Um, I think... The good life is, you know, okay, so I'm reading a, a really interesting book right now. It's about global warming, and this has nothing to do with with, with kind of your question, but it, but in it, there's a great, great what, line what, in it. What is the book? It's called Windfall. Windfall. So, yeah, Mackenzie Funk, so who grew up over on the other side of the Cascades in the Eugene area. Um, just great writer. He has this funny line in, in the early in the book about, the, the Canadians were trying to come up with a line that, you know, that's sort of like, you know, as American as apple pie. Well, and what would be sort of the Canadian equivalent of that? And, and one of the answers, and who knows if this is true or not, and he says that in the story, but was that 
as Canadian as possible under the circumstances. Was kind of their answer, you know. And I think though, I think that that's a great way of looking at you know your question about the good life, and that is living your life as true and fulfilling as possible under the circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, because we all have restraints. We all have things we have to do, things that we can't do, things that we would love to do, but probably never will do. And if you just use those things as like your fence, you know, and then you say, okay, well, within this fence, I'm going to just make this the best I can. You know, I think there's, I think there's happiness in that. It's not in comparing yourself to other fences and other people's yards and so on. It's like, what is it that you're doing with yours? Well, how are you making yours better? You know, yeah. You know what? Your fence is tiny. You know, you've got debt. Your parents are sick. You've got a terrible spouse, whatever. Mm-hmm. Within that, you still have a plot that is yours, that you can control. Mm-hmm. You still have control of your own narrative. And I think seizing that and being like, you know what? I'm going to do the best I can under the circumstances. I think that's that's a great way to put it. You could still grow a sunflower in a one-by-one square foot of grass absolutely and that doesn't mean that you can't you know slowly make your you know your area bigger or whatever you know yeah. but but just realizing that that your restraints don't have to restrain you they can be what you work with that's a that's a great answer uh, i'm a writer <laughs> <laughs> and apparently a speaker too that, that was not that was not uh, pre-written or edited or drafted so that right on um what tips or advice would you offer to those listening on living that good life? And and you you kind of started down that path. Let's, let's, yeah. let's continue that. Okay. Yeah, I think it's I think it's just recognizing that um, that yeah that we are kind of in control of our own narratives that that and the things that that make you feel like you're not in control of your own narrative like deconstruct those a little bit and pick them apart like what well why why can't you move to bend why can't you become a teacher why can't you do these things and a lot of times you'll have very real answers like i can't afford this house if i do that you know okay well then you're like okay well why do i want to be a teacher then you know what i mean so just kind of start finding the the nuggets the 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 turning points that that you know that would make you happy that you think would make you happy or whatever that you want to do like what is your heart telling you to do is it fear keeping you away from doing it is it um you know, or do you have very, very real concerns? And those two, I think, are obviously very tied together. But, but when you, when you kind of start breaking them apart a little bit and kind of look attack, tackling them piece by piece, then you can realize, oh, you know what? I, I, there are, I do have options. You know, kind of creating options for yourself instead of limiting them, um, and kind of seeing your, your, your area, what you can do as yours. Yeah, this is yours. Well, it harkens back to an earlier comment you made of focusing on what you have, not what you don't. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's a key. Yeah, that's a, that's, I think that's key for yeah. sure. Yeah, be thankful for what you do have. And then I think your own patterns will start to, uh, to emerge, your own sort of, you know, this is who I am kind of thing. Here's how I can improve upon myself or whatever, you know. I think that's it in a nutshell. Perfect. That was a nice little tight nutshell. So... <laughs> Heading into our rapid fire questions. Okay. What is your favorite virtue? Favorite virtue would have to. Am I, am I supposed to answer like right off the bat, or can I like actually think about it? 
Okay. You have three seconds. Okay. No, favorite I'm just kidding. Favorite virtue, <laughs> I would say, is wit. And what is your favorite vice? Procrastination. What motivates you? Love. What frustrates you? Love. <laughs> Touche. Uh, what guides you? Beauty, truth. Um, yeah, probably beauty and truth. What distracts you? Mm, pretty much everything distracts me. <laughs> everything. Uh, what distracts me? Um, warm, sunny days. Fish. Um, <laughs> Squirrel. <laughs> Doubt. <laughs> uh, what inspires you? Um, people and their stories, you know, inspire me. I think everyone is extraordinary in their own way, you know. Sorry, no, that's not a rapid answer, but I think everyone, I think everyone has a story to tell, and people don't realize that. People think, ah, oh, I'm just a whatever I get wake up and I do my you know my daughter has this great children's book about Gideon the grub who just woke up and did his grub work every day and didn't realize that you know he could be a butterfly whatever Mm -hmm. that's kid version but but I think everyone's extraordinary in a certain way and hearing kind of teasing that out of people being like oh my god you can do that like I can't do that I don't know anybody else who can do that yeah you know what is your favorite quote you know I don't know that I have a favorite oh and i and i wrote this question specifically for you yeah i you know i i I like i like there's a quote by mark twain and i actually just heard it um maybe about a month ago and uh it was talking about writing um and how writing is is basically the the writing is basically putting applying the seat of your pants to the seat of your chair you know just sort of this like that's a good one isn't it just kind of this you know you just kind of gotta hang on and kind of make it happen but you also have to sit down and do it yeah you know so, I mean, I, I like that. I like that quote a lot. Oh, that is a good one. Um, if you weren't a writer or a traveler, what would you be? I think I would be an economist. I said that earlier. Um, I, you know, econ- especially like a macro economist. Like, I, I mean, that's what motivates everything in this world is economy, you know, business, money, trade, and how those things all interact, I think is just absolutely fascinating, you know. I'd be either that or maybe a heli ski guide or a musician. I mean, I have no, yeah, yeah. no, I think economist. I think that's probably what I would be. And what do you hope to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates someday? Oh, mm. <laughs> uh, so uh, maybe something like, um, Hey Tim, you know, I know you didn't believe in the traditional Christian sense or the Jewish sense or the Muslim sense of me. Um, but you believed in the things that I stood for, truth, forgiveness, beauty. Um, so there are a lot of people waiting for you, you know, and the beer's cold. Come on in. (laughs) Nice. Um, and so this last question is, is kind of a two part question. Um, because, uh, because I'm interviewing someone who interviews for a living, um, what questions would you ask yourself if you were in my seat? slash what else would you like to add that's a good question um i mean i I think they're two different things i think you know the questions that i ask myself often are like well why haven't i done x or why haven't i done y you know um 
you know, those, those things kind of pop up all the time. Um, you know, why haven't you written a book yet? Why haven't you, um, you know, loved more, you know, felt more, that kind of thing. Because your tit fell apart, that's why. <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> right, yeah. 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 No, but, you know, I, th- I think that I, th- I think I can always, you know, strive to do more. So I, I guess I would ask myself, you know, what's next? And yeah, I don't have an answer for that, you know. Um, Is there a book out there in the future? I, you know, I'd like I'd like to do one for sure. I, I've I've kind of gone down that road a couple of times. Like, I had an editor approach me and saying, "Hey, why don't you send me a proposal on this?" and and I did it, and then she just like shredded it, and then kind of ran over it with like a backhoe, and then lit it on fire, and you know, it was terrible. It was, and and she was right. You know, it was it was a very humbling experience. But she was right. I had no idea what I was doing. You know. So I think there's always room to, to kind of learn more and to, you know. But, yeah, so, I, you know, in terms of um, anything that I would add, I, um, you know, I guess, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't think I, I do. I would, I'm, I would love to do more, um, more speaking, you know. I think I do. I'm slowly realizing that, that, um, that I, that I can inspire people in some way with um with what i do um which also sounds arrogant and i don't mean it that way either but i do have this this like gift that's been given to me in many ways to be able to like go out and see you know 70 countries to go out and see you know the the inuit people of greenland or to like see like the 27 year old guide in North Korea who just really wants to kind of make things work for herself, you know, or, or like, you know, seeing a, a, an amazing rainbow in Western Australia or, or like what the, what the, you know, an icy wind feels like at the top of the Alps, you know, things like that. Like, so I think, you know, I, there is a certain value, I think, in me being able to, to go out and, and share, to collect these things and kind of bring them back and share them with people, you know, and, and to say, you know, if it's not through writing, then maybe it's through speaking or maybe it's just through by being a better friend, you know, kind of letting people, um, you know, if they're interested, obviously, you know, I don't want to talk about myself or anything like that, but I do, but I do, I do feel like I, I, I'm getting a better feeling for what it means to be human, you know, whether that, and we all share the same, that's the big lesson I think that I've learned and all these travels and all these assignments and all these like things that I've done is that we're so similar in so many ways. We all want to experience love. We all want to have some sort of fulfillment, you know, be it professionally, you know, in a professional realm or family realm or whatever. We all want to feed our families, Mm -hmm. you know, and those things I think are, are, I mean, they're universal, obviously, you know, um, so one last thing, how, how can people find you and find your stories in your uh, anthology? Um, so, well, I have a website. So timneville.net, um, Neville like the Neville brothers. Um, that's probably the easiest way because then from there you can find links to uh, like a, my Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. So that's, that's probably the easiest way. I also have an about me page people are familiar with that it's just sort of a one-page online okay, synopsis yeah. it's just about me slash tim neville about dot me slash tim neville awesome yep 
Awesome. Tim, thank you so much for sharing with us. And, uh, and this is Tim and Jeremy wishing you a, a good life in Central Oregon. Sounds good. Thank you. And, uh,